spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. When I say we have a big show this week, you can take that literally. It's episode 329 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. I say that because I have the writer, creator, and artist of Big Girls from Image Comics with me this week. Jason Howard's going to stop by. I'll ask him a question or two about Super Dinosaurs as well. Of course, that's going to be coming to Amazon Prime Video. He was part of that creation with Robert Kirkman, so I'll ask him about that and a ton more stuff and just some great and speaking of comics some great comics out this week and talk about seven secrets from boom studios also the beginning of the end for joshua williamson's flash run i'll talk about that some comics news to talk about as well but first we're going to start things off with a spoiler ish review of project power from netflix that's up next on the down and nerdy podcast This is Cassia Tellis from The 100, and you are listening to The Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's time to find out if Netflix has the power. That's right. Here's my spoiler-ish review of Project Power from Netflix, of course, hitting the streaming service today. So I'm not really going to spoil really much of anything. There's just a couple things that I need to talk about that are minor spoilers in this because I don't want to really spoil it since it just came out. And you might not have had a chance to see it yet, but I am going to spoil a couple things. I will definitely warn you about that. No, I won't ruin the ending, so don't even worry about that. Of course, this is the movie that stars Jamie Foxx and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I'm going to read you this really short description that is already released, so this isn't a spoiler. And it's basically when a pill gives its users unpredictable superpowers for five minutes, hits the streets of New Orleans, a teenage dealer and a local cop must team with an ex-soldier to take down the group responsible for its creation. Now, that is all accurate. That I mean, that basically is the gist of what this movie is about. But here's the spoiler that I'm gonna that I'm gonna share with you. That's that also makes this matter a little bit more. And that is that they also happen to have Jamie Foxx's character art. They have his daughter as well. So that makes things a little bit more personal for him. So I definitely, I, I had to spoil that in order to make the, because I feel like that really matters, right? So it's, it's like you hear that, you hear that description and it's a fine description. It's, that's what the movie's about. But you're thinking, ah, generic. It just seems like, you know, what's new about it? And I'm not saying that having his daughter makes it unique because certainly we've seen the whole kidnapped family member thing play out before, but it's that added motivation that you throw on top of all of these other things that makes it interesting. And especially since these aren't your cookie-cutter characters, like Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character of Frank, who's the police officer in question here, he is not your typical police officer. He's definitely a someone that doesn't necessarily play by the rules every time. That, it's, it, that makes for an interesting dynamic. The The star, though, that really jumps out at me in this movie when I watched it, was Dominique Fishback's Robin. I mean, you want to talk about... And we get to see plenty of Robin in this movie. We get to see a lot of her teaming up with, you know, various characters here and there. 
and just the way she carries herself in this movie, I love it. And she's just so she's just seems like a friendly, very likable character. She's she has that, you know, youthful spunk about her. But at the same time, she's you know, she needs that direction in her life. She's missing something and she kind of ends up finding it along the way. And you get to watch how it shapes her character. And there's rises and falls there as well. And what Dominique Fishback does with this character, it really makes you care about what happens to Robin throughout this movie. And it builds. And that's not something that you could say for someone who's not the star of this movie, this, as far as headlines go. When you see names like Jamie Foxx and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, your, your mind automatically goes to them because you've seen them. In many things, you probably become a fan of theirs. You're going to become a fan of Dominique Fishbacks after you see this movie. I can tell you that right now. And I will say this, too. I will say this as somebody who's not really been a fan of Jamie Foxx. I've been outspoken about that on this show before. I haven't liked Jamie Foxx in a whole lot. I liked him in Collateral and maybe one other thing. And that was kind of it. I got to tell you, he did a darn good job in this movie. I really enjoyed how he went about things. The action sequences that were he he was in were very good as well. Props to the stunt team on this just across the board who did a fantastic job. Let me tell you, there are some just mind-blowing action scenes. There's one that involves Jamie Foxx's character art in the beginning of this movie when you kind of start to find out what exactly he's doing, what his mission is, which is kind of in the description. It's part of it anyway. So there's an initial fight scene when he's trying to get some information. It is just awesome. It really, really is. It's very, very cool. So I got to say, and this movie kind of gives me some confidence that Jamie Foxx would be able to do good in the Spawn movie. That's something, again, I wasn't really sure about. Seeing Jamie Foxx in this role of, of art in Project Power makes me think, okay, yeah, he might be a good candidate for Spawn after all. But there's, a, I mean, a lot of focus on those three characters in this movie, you've got Art, played by Jamie Foxx, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who plays Frank, and Dominique Fishback, who plays Robin. You get a lot of them. I mean, sure, you've got Rod- Rodrigo Santoro's Biggie, who is kind of one of the guys that's responsible for the distribution of this of this drug. And you've got, you know, the, the lab that creates it. Of course, that's going to play a role in this movie as well. That's certainly not a spoiler. It had to come from somewhere, right? I'm not going to tell you how they got the formula or anything. That's not a spoiler that I'm going to give you. What I'm saying is, is that we get clear motivations from all of our characters here. It's very, very clear why everyone is doing what they're doing. And like, like Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, Frank, yeah, you might not necessarily like him completely, but you understand why he's doing what he's doing and why he's going about it the way he's going about it. You might not agree with it, but you'll understand why he's doing it. Now, Courtney B. Vance, you you see that name in there. You, I know that you're a fan of his. Won't see a lot of him. I will tell you that right off the bat. But the one, like one of the few scenes that he's in is very impactful. And it's just, it just, he has that way about him, right? Where even if you don't see him on the screen a lot, like I'll remember that scene that one scene that he was in, one scene that he was in very, very vividly, just because Courtney B. Vance just commands that presence. So I, I just thought I'd throw that out there. I thought that I thought that he was really, really great 
There's also, I mean, without spoiling who she plays, Kiana Simone Simpson did a fantastic job in this movie as well. You'll know who she plays when you see her. Trust me on this. That is a pretty big role. Now, I want to discuss the powers really quick, too, because one of the things that made this movie unique was that, okay, so you take this pill and it gives you powers for five minutes. But like the description said, these are unpredictable powers. You don't necessarily just get to choose what you get. And that's what makes this interesting. You're taking this pill on a what if, right? You you know you're going to get powers, but you A, don't know what they're going to be. And B, you don't necessarily know if you're going to be able to control them either. Think about people that have had powers in other stories before, right? That got them through genetics or whatever. Like Peter Parker didn't have control of his spider powers right away, right? We saw that in multiple movies in any iteration, right? He's not just completely comfortable being Spider-Man right off the get, right? It takes time. Well, just because you took a pill and you get these powers doesn't necessarily mean that you get to know how to control them. Now, we do get to see what they're like when they can be under control, and we get to see what happens when things don't exactly go as planned with these powers, too. So we get to see kind of all angles of what this pill actually does, and you get to see also how people would be, how this is a legit drug, how it has that effect of people being hooked on it and and needing it to a certain extent. There is... Not a ton about addiction in this movie, but you certainly see that it plays a role. And it and it really, really ramps up some of the action sequences in this movie as well. But then there's also the double-edged sword of, yeah, there's going to be times where you'd be like, oh, I wonder what power I'd get. And then there'd be another, other times where you're like, why, whoa, why would anybody, anybody take this after seeing that? It's just very, very interesting how this goes and the whole process of why it's being made. The very beginning, what they do with it to get it out onto the street in the first place is also a very unique take on things as well. I, I was very surprised with what they decided to do in the initial when they released it on the streets. I'm like, okay, so that's not something that you see every day. So while certainly this movie wasn't perfect, I will say that there were this movie certainly had its issues at times it did drag here and there there wasn't a whole there wasn't a whole lot of you know groundbreaking stuff here character wise while there were I, I mentioned before that there were certainly people that played their characters and played them well i wouldn't necessarily say that these are characters that we haven't seen before i was impressed with joseph gordon levitt's accent for nolans i thought he did a pretty good job dominique fishback is is quite the freestyle rapper we find that out now, now, granted, she, she certainly had some help there. That that's, that's obvious that she certainly had some help there. I know that they brought somebody in, but she does spoken word poetry too, so it's not like she was coming in there not knowing what she was doing or anything, but it really shows through, and the, the way that this movie ends I thought was, was also a really good way to end things, and I'm not going to tell you if there's, you know, if, if there's room for a sequel there, or anything like that, but just the way that the main characters play off of each other, meaning Art, Frank, and Robin, the way that they play off of each other, whether it's when they're all together or whether it's when they're kind of in pairs, that's what makes this movie for me. That's what made this the most enjoyable. The action sequences, I kind of knew 
that they would come off really, really interesting and really, really, really cool. So I definitely like that. When you get to see what certain people's powers are, there's a wow factor there. And, you know, if you don't tug at the thread, because you could tug at the thread of when you see somebody use their power and go, okay, well, why didn't it affect this person? Or why didn't it affect that person? Why didn't it affect everyone around them if it affected this? Do yourself a favor. Don't tug at that thread. Just enjoy the ride. Sometimes it's okay to sit back and enjoy the ride. You're not going to get cinematic brilliance here because that's not what this movie goes for. This movie's got action. This movie has a linear story where it's going to be obvious what's going on. There's no guesswork here in this story. Sit back, kick back, relax, and just enjoy a nice action movie with a sci-fi and superpower kick. That is exactly what you're going to get from Project Power. That's going to do it for my spoiler-ish review of Project Power from Netflix, which is streaming right now. Up next, going to be talking to Jason Howard, who is the creator, writer, and artist for Big Girls from Image Comics. Let's talk to him next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Rick Remender, comic book nerd of note, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. You know how many great books Image Comics puts out, right? Well, we're going to add another one to the list this week. It's Big Girls. The issue, first issue is actually available right now. We'll also kind of tease ahead to the second issue that will be out in September. And this guy's taking the reins for the whole thing. Writer, artist extraordinaire. It's Jason Howard. How you doing, man? Good, James. How are you? Thanks for having me on. I'm doing great, man. Now, when you see a book that's described as John Wick meets Godzilla, that's something that certainly kind of gets your attention. So talk a little bit about how... You came up with the idea for Big Girls. It's a little complicated. I mean, it's nice to have super clean stories, right, for making up, you know, like how the comic was created and there was this moment of inspiration. But really the beginnings for Big Girls started from my artist kind of side of me wanting to draw cool stuff. (laughs) (laughs) It's, you know, it's sort of why I got into comics in the first place because, you know, like... I like to draw, but some things are not fun to draw, and some things are. And comic books tend to have a lot of the stuff that's fun to draw in them. So uh, monsters and giant girls with guns running through the city, smashing buildings and all that goes along with that. I kind of was sketching things along those lines in my sketchbook. And I was like, man, this would be a really something with these kind of visuals would be something I could get really excited about as an artist to draw. And I started throwing around kind of doodling names somewhere in my sketchbook where I have a list of names where I'm like, you know, writing things like war women. I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound very catchy. Mm -hmm. And somewhere along that list, I just put together the combo of big girls. I was like, oh, that's that's kind of a fun name. And it's it's right on the nose for what the concept is. But it's also feels simple and, you know, but I haven't seen it before. And. So as I kind of had that, it sat with me a while, this kind of name and and visual concept, but there wasn't really a story there. And there were some things kind of going on at the time. And as I started kind of thinking about stuff that would tie into that concept, a lot of things where you kind of see things happening in the military, Mm -hmm. you know, where you're like, man, if I was a soldier in this particular situation, say in Iraq, that would be tough, a tough thing to handle, like. You know, maybe there's things that go on where you feel like, am I on the right side, you yeah. know, of this? It's obviously a complex situation, but you start asking questions and that kind of fit very nicely with some kind of struggles I was thinking through with the news and, you know, problems in the world and just this kind of 
frustrated feeling probably we all get where you're like man just everything you know if you if you pay close attention to the news and you're on social media you just get bombarded with all the problems it's all very you know the the engagement comes from outrage right so it, it's it, it's easy to feel that and so i started to think well what how do i how do I kind of explore that? And that's kind of where the writing side came from, is this idea of exploring the complexities of certain issues. And then um, a character who maybe, you know, is coming of age or at least a young adult who has felt a certain way about things all her life. And Ember, the main character in Big Girls, you know, she's she's all in. You know that she's she's a hero. She's, you know, making a difference in the world. But maybe things are not as black and white as she thinks they are. And that's kind of one of the things I'm really trying to explore with the story of big girls is how, how do you kind of come to terms with that when there is no maybe great solution? You know, it's funny, Jason, when we were, when I was reading the first issue, I, I was looking at some of the things that were happening there. And in today's world where we're hearing terms like quarantine and bubble, of course, when it comes to sports a lot yeah. in this book, you actually have something called the preserve. So how would you describe that? So the the preserve in Big Girls is is the the world as we once knew it, you know, and kind of if you if you take the allegory sense, you know, the, the world of our childhood, right, where problems were in the world, but you know, if your parents did a halfway decent job as a, as a kid, you didn't know about all the world's problems and things were pretty good, and you had to deal with you know a kid at school or not getting your favorite toy, but you know when you become an adult, you start to see and feel the pain of all the problems in the world a little more, even your own personal problems. And so the preserve is this world's attempt to go back to the way things used to be. There was a big mistake that kind of created the monsters, ruined the world, so to speak. And But a group of people, kind of smart, forward-thinking people, created this safe area protected by the big girls. So the big girls protect this core of humanity where the suffering of the world is sort of known about, but it's not personally felt. The big girls stop it all. They take the brunt of the suffering. They keep back the the evil, protect the world, so to speak. So that's, you know, I kind of like playing with that idea of uh, obviously that's a good thing, right? We want to protect people and save humanity. But I think sometimes, you know, there is a sense of, you know, maybe the world was always complex and we just didn't know it. You know, I, I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, as I write the book, ask questions more than answer them and kind of explore things on my own and feelings kind of along those lines. No doubt. You talked about wanting to draw cool stuff when we first started chatting here. And so let's yeah. talk about that here for a second. I mean, monsters have been created for decades for different forms of entertainment. So how did yeah. you go about making the design and the concepts for your monsters as unique as possible? I have literal many files of sketches where I was trying lots of different approaches on how I wanted to approach the monsters and big girls. I even did some test pages early. And when I showed them to a friend, he's like, yeah, those are just big zombies. And I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> they, they are just big zombies. That's not that's not what I want. So but I tried a lot of things as far as how far to deform, you know, if the concept is men in this world, a certain percentage of men are affected by this mistake that happened, the science mistake. You know, the their physiology is changed and mutated sort of, and they transform into these big monsters. But I didn't want to leave the, I guess, the feeling that, you know, this could be a, a human under there. Like at one, you know, this is a human body that's been changed. 
but it's not so far changed that you can't recognize where it came from. So it was a lot of playing with how far to go in the change. I, I played with some early ideas that were very, came out very insect-like looking. And um, But once I kind of settled on actually the design of the big girls kind of military uniforms, um, the girls' uniforms are very square-shaped, so if all the elements are kind of based on squares and rectangles. That then led me to the natural opposite for their villains, for the enemies, the boys, are all based on circles. And once I kind of made that kind of visual connection, the design for the for the men monsters came pretty easily. Now, Jason, you talked about Ember already a little bit, so I want to talk about another character that kind of stood out to me, and that was the High Marshal. Now, I'm not going to spoil anything in the first issue for anybody that hasn't read it, but he's actually involved in, the, I think, the most shocking moment in this issue. I don't know how you're going to have another moment more shocking than that one, actually. I'm, I'm certain you know which one I'm talking about. So, yeah. I mean, he seems pretty by the book. Where exactly is he at? Where, how, how can you describe him? Like, where is his headspace at, you think? I mean, his, I really tried to kind of, with him, find a place where, uh, obviously, he, he views things differently than Ember, our protagonist. But, you know, if you take a certain sort of hardline stance in the world that they're in that has been sort of destroyed, and there's a, there's a part where he's looking at a, at a thing and he talks about this isn't, I didn't create this mess, so to speak, but I, I'm the one with the responsibility to kind of clean it up now. He is protecting what he views as sort of the last bit of humanity, and it's this heavy responsibility. So his actions and his view the kind of maybe harshness he has to take at times is justified because what what would you have him do and what what are the consequences if he doesn't do those things? You know, if he's not as harsh as he feels he needs to be, what happens to this to the preserve? What happens to this last bit of humanity? And uh, you know, I didn't want to make his job an easy one. He is facing some pretty massive threats, so uh, that kind of you know touches on where he's coming from and as the series goes hopefully we start to see a little bit of different sides to that character but i wanted to kind of paint that very kind of i guess responsible person who's you know maybe enjoys it but also is you know i don't know maybe they're maybe they're right maybe he's right you know if he didn't take those actions maybe the preserve would be destroyed so I got. De- I definitely got some Colonel Jessup vibes from him a little bit, though. A few good men. Oh yeah, yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the same military kind of approach, mm-hmm. right? Like, yep. you know, we're we're the ones that have this responsibility. You know, it can't all be soft and and happy for everyone. Some people have to make the hard choices. But he still had a little bit of a soul, though. I mean, it was like Colonel Jessup. If Colonel Jessup actually had a soul, kind of thing. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll certainly see as certain as the issues go on. As a matter of fact, issue one of Big Girls available now at your local comic book shops and digital retailers. Issue two coming out on September the 16th. We're talking to, of course, writer and artist Jason Howard of Big Girls. Now, Jason, at the end of this first issue, you you actually have a great afterword where you're talking about how much you love first issues. So what is the best first issue you've ever read and what makes it still memorable for you to this day? And that is a good question. I, I literally, I could go through my comic boxes. I just have tons 
of for like in, when I see something, if the art is cool and it's an issue one, it's like an immediate buy. Yeah. Yep. Looking for that thing where I'm like, oh, this is my new favorite book, and I'd never heard of it, and I saw this first issue on the stands. Um, I'm gonna go real old school here, and part of this comes from an art place too. Um, there was a book Wildstorm did um, called Team Seven. I don't know if you were an old school Wildstorm guy wow. back in the day. But the artist, Aaron Weisenfeld, I wasn't very familiar with. I don't think I was at all familiar with his work. And I picked up this book because I was buying most of Wildstorm's book. And oh, a new one. And it had some military characters, which I always kind of like. And his art blew me away on that. And uh, that's one that always stood out to me where it's like, I didn't know anything really about the book. I saw the first issue, the cover looked cool, I bought it, and it was like one of those that the whole month in between issue one and two, I'd like look through that comic over and over, you know, just waiting for the next ones to come out. That's I'm amazing. sure there's more recent examples, but uh, that's one that kind of, you know, sticks with me. Hey, I'm sure that there's somebody else out there that feels the exact same way you do that's going, oh, yeah, he liked it too, cool. See, it's, <laughs> you, you, never, you never know when it's going to be that book for you, though, I think is your point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, and with some, it's the story. Like, I remember when I read the first issue of Invincible, um, I didn't know Robert or any of those guys at the time. And, you know, this superhero book, and I was like, oh, that looks kind of cool. I'll give that a try. And it was so fresh and felt so different than other comics were at the time, yet familiar with the kind of classic tropes of superhero stuff, but in a new way. And I remember just being like, I felt like I immediately in reading that first issue was like, got the kind of what they were going for and just really fell in love with that series right away. No doubt about it. Now, Jason, there's some, some, some something very subtle that caught my eye in this first issue, and it was a poster that said, register your pregnancy, help keep the barrier strong. Now, something tells me that not everybody is going to be okay with that in this world, that even in the preserve. So how much will this first arc kind of drive into the social issues of the preserve itself and will we learn more about the assembly? A little bit there. I, I want to set up kind of the characters. So we're seeing things through the characters' eyes as they happen. So with uh, the character Martin, who we see kind of in that panel you mentioned with a sign, we're seeing the world kind of through his eyes as he's a kind of a normal-sized person dealing with some of the challenges in the preserve. And then we see the world through Ember, and her view as a big girl, and then High Marshal Tannock, his view, and then there's another character near the end that we kind of see and kind of through, through her view. And those are kind of the, the four sort of quadrants, I guess, of opposing forces that uh, I'm trying to tell the story through. So we'll get bits as they interact with the preserve and some of the social issues. Um, and there's a little bit in issue two that we'll see with that. So, but I'm, I'm trying to create a world and tell a story within that world and not necessarily tell the story of the world, if that makes sense. No, that like, makes perfect sense. Yeah. So we'll see kind of what the characters interact with. Some of that will get touched on and some will just be left in the background. And that's what second arcs are for, quite frankly. I'm just saying. <laughs> just <right>. saying. <laughs> if you guys want that, keep buying the book. It's just that simple. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to do I'll have to do an origin origin story issue or something. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Now speaking of the character, you mentioned a few of the character other characters that are in the book. We get a couple of teases of characters we'll be seeing in future issues in this first issue. So is there a particular character that you're most excited for readers to meet coming up? Yeah, I mean, issue two, 
Um, I don't think I'm spoiling anything because there's a tease of issue two cover on the last page of the of the in the text page at the back. Um, but we meet a couple other of the big girls that that help protect the city as well. And one of them, Apex in particular, she's really fun to draw. I've had a lot of fun with her character and kind of the way she changed in my mind from what I kind of envisioned her at the beginning to where she ended up at the end of volume one. And then I'm writing volume two actually currently. So kind of her kind of all all her arc and where it takes her um, has been really fun. You know, not as fun as Ember, maybe, but because she's not the protagonist, I feel like you can have a little more push and pull. So she's been a lot of fun. Yeah, that was the one I was hoping you were going to say, because that was the one that stood out to me. I'm like, I got to meet Apex in this next issue. Yeah, that'll be issue two. Excellent. Good Good to know that we've got something really cool to look forward to in issue two, which I had no doubt about anyway. Before I let you go, Jason, it's also an exciting time for you, man, because Super Dinosaur is going to be coming to Amazon Prime Video on October the 6th. I'm sure that you're really excited about that. How great has it been working with them and working with Spin Master? And what did you think, because you're an artist now, so what did you think of the character designs when you first saw them? Yeah, it was, I mean, I I was fortunate that I got to be really involved with 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 the production of the animated series. So I was right there in the mix with the character designs, um, kind of seeing stuff and approving stuff all along. So we... We worked with a studio in Vancouver, Atomic Cartoons, to produce the show. And then a lot of the character designs, um, the initial ones, were done by Jose Lopez, who's a, a animation guy. He's done some Transformers stuff, a bunch of other things. The Big Hero 6 uh, show, not the movie, but the show, the, the animated series version, um, he worked on that. So it was really fun. Part of the challenge was, you know, with Super Dinosaur, we have an, there's four volumes. We have an established look for the characters. And we want wanted the animated series to be true to the spirit and feel and look like the characters, but not be a slave to them in the way that it, it might hurt the, the what would work well in animation. So kind of finding that look and, you know, seeing designs come in and people put their kind of spin on characters that I designed and then seeing them, you know, built in CG and modeled and the lighting and all the steps of that process come in were super exciting. I mean, it's, it's really fun. I got a little bit of a taste, but maybe comic book writers who work with other artists feel like where you, you kind of set something in the world and then all of a sudden you get all this awesome artwork in your email inbox and you're just like oh yeah this is great you know someone spent a week doing it and you know i'm doing other things and it starts come rolling in and you know it's a pretty uh, a pretty amazing experience i was really happy to be able to be a part of that there's going to be a cool factor too though knowing that there's going to be toys as well that's just got to take it to an next level yeah i have I have. I'm literally have toys on my desk right now in front of me. <laughs> I would have them scattered everywhere if it was me. Yes. So I, I would do the same thing. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Well, make sure you guys are reading Big Girls Issue One. It's available right now at your local comic book shops and digital retailers. Issue Two coming out on September the 16th, and make sure you're watching Super Dinosaur as well, October 6th on Amazon Prime Video. And you'll hear a lot more from this guy, I'm sure. It's Jason Howard. Thanks so much for joining me this week. Thanks, James. I really appreciate it. Seriously, if you haven't gotten a chance to check out the first issue of Big Girls yet, I also think that there's kind of like an Equilibrium meets Pacific Rim vibe to it. It's really, really neat. There's a lot of emotion there. And I'm telling you right now, again, there's a shocking moment in this book I won't be able to unsee maybe ever. And it just sets the tone for the rest of the story in so many 
of the characters. I think it's going to be one of those moments that has a huge impact on the entire first arc. But we'll have to wait and see if issue two comes out on September the 16th. Let's keep this comics talk going. We've got some reviews coming up. What we're reading next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is writer Peter David, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Whether you're storing in a long box or a file folder on your hard drive, whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading and a little bit of a change this week. You know, I realize that most of the time I'm talking about books that have already been out for a few days. Normally I don't do spoilers. I'm going to start doing a little bit more spoilers in my comic book reviews to really give you an idea of what's going on with these books. So expect some spoilers coming up unless it's a book that's not out yet. I am going to be talking about a little bit of spoilers starting with Seven Secrets number one from Boom Studios and Tom Taylor writing this one. Danielle DiNicciolo on the illustrations. Walter Biamonte and Katia Renali on the colors there at Dukeshire on the letters. Now what we have here is basically a group called The Order. And or the Order of the Seven Secrets, whatever, or however you want to put it, and they're set, they're set to guard these seven secrets. There's briefcases that they all have to guard, and there's a holder and a keeper. That's who's responsible for one briefcase, and that's how they keep these secrets safe. Now, these secrets contain stuff that's that would be devastating in the wrong hands. That's kind of all you need to know. That, and we actually meet a couple of these uh, holders and keepers. One of them being Eva and Sigrid who are one of these teams. Now, the, here's the first spoiler of the book. It's when Eva gets pregnant with Sigrid's baby, obviously. So that kind of creates a very tough and emotional midway point of this book because now they have to basically face trial for being pregnant because nothing's supposed to keep them from their task at hand, right? No distraction sort of thing. So just the way that whole part of the book plays out was kind of, you know, it was very emotionally kind of gut-wrenching at times, right? And it was very, very tense. So the tension right in the middle of this book, I thought was really ramped up off the charts. And it, it and it really just piqued my interest the most. So while you get, you know, plenty of action at the beginning of the book, it's the tension in the middle that really, really hooks you, I think. Now, even when they give a cho- get get a choice of what to do, second spoiler in this one, they choose their jobs over their baby. So the baby gets taken and is kind of brought into the fold. And this was like 15 years ago, too, by the way. I should mention that because then there's a time jump in the middle of this book. And it's just, it feels like things are about to change for Sigrid and Eva when there's been enemies that have been raiding this compound to discover the secrets and things really go sideways. Now... The baby's name is Casper, by the way, or Caspar, however you want to pronounce it, because it's C-A-S-P-A-R, so you can go either way. Now, we don't actually meet this little boy, but we do get to get the internal monologue throughout the issue, which really, really, again, adds to the emotion of this story. Kind of like you're he, they, this, like... Imagine being a child that hears stories about your parents after the fact, and then you, you're telling that back to someone else. That's what's kind of going on here. It really adds to the story, or at least I thought it did. The concept is very, very compelling, too, especially when you find out how far back this goes as far as how long these briefcases have been protected and what could potentially happen if they fall in the wrong hands. You get some backstory on some of these characters too as well. It's quick, but it's there and it really makes a difference. Now, as usual, 
Danielle DiNicciolo delivers some, I mean, incredible illustrations. I mean, absolutely gorgeous illustrations. And the character designs are just great. I mean, I don't even know how else to describe it. It kind of doesn't even do it justice. It feels stupid saying that. But I could, but but that's exactly what you have here. There's a lot of uniqueness in this story. There's a lot of raw emotion, and I really can't wait to see how this thing. I just feel like this story is about to bust wide open in issue two. So if you're not getting this in your pull box, you need to fix that right now. This is a five out of five, easy for me. Let's move on to what's going to be the beginning of the end of Joshua Williamson's Flash run. Of course, a longtime writer of The Flash. This one, number 759 from DC Comics. Rafa Sandoval and Scott Collins going to be doing the art for this one. Also some inks by Jordi Tarragona. And Arif Prianto and Hi-Fi doing color. Steve Wands on the letters. Now, again, spoilers for this one. But if you've been reading The Flash, you probably already know this. That Barry isn't Barry. Okay, we've got Thawne that's taken over his body and is basically trying to destroy Barry's life by taking it over, doing stuff like, you know, teaming up with rogues or at least not necessarily stopping them per se. Not the rogues, but I'm talking about rogues in general. And he does team up with some of them. But And of course, you know, being Thawne, he wants to make this a permanent deal. He's always wanted to be Barry anyway, right? And it's funny because the issue mentions that. It's like, you know, Thawne's always wanted to be Barry. He's always wanted to be the Flash. Well, that's exactly what it's trying to do, but it, I'll tell you when it's when when it goes too far for me. Is when he drags Bart into it. I'm like, "Nope. Nope, we're not doing this. We're not no, we're not going after Bart. That is dirty pool. You can't go after the grandson. We're not we're not having this conversation, Thon." And but that's this thing. And and that's why you're going to love Bart even more after you read this issue cuz you know you can't fool a little guy. Like that. So Barry's trapped somewhere while all this is going on, too, by the way. Not necessarily inside the Speed Force. It's explained a little bit in the issue, so I won't spoil exactly where he is. But he does have company, that much I'll tell you, and, and a couple of very familiar names that you'll that you'll see that, that are keeping him company, too, actually. Not, I, I'm not saying like they're kicking back and, you know, talking about the latest quarantine edition Speed Force TV shows that are going on or anything. No, 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 no. They're stuck there, basically. So it's not fun times for anybody. But speaking of fights, it actually looks like we're in for a big one based on how this first issue ends and a showdown that I really cannot wait to see. It's like two heavyweight boxers that you know are about to have a big fight. And it's like the night before the fight, except we're going to have to wait a couple of weeks for this next issue. This book is so gorgeously drawn, I could have reread this six times in, in one sitting. It was just so, I mean, and, and not read a word. And Joshua Williamson's probably one of the better Flash writers of the last 10, 15 years. So the words matter. But this, the art was so good, I could have just flipped through the art a few times before I read even, I mean, anything. The detail work is Eisner-worthy, for sure, with all these speedsters, too. The colors really, really shine and pop out. This story also has a hint of finality to it, even in this first issue of the arc. I mean, it's it's got this, it feels like it could be paradigm shifting when it's all said and done. I know it's still, it's very early. We're talking about part one of this arc and only time will tell, but I, I got a feeling 
that we're in for something big. So throw this in your poll box as well. I can't wait to see how this all ends. I'm going to miss Joshua Williamson on the flash, but you know, you got to move on at some point, right? It's not like Joshua Williamson's going anywhere. We're going to see him working on another character, but I cannot wait to see what he does for an encore, quite frankly. That's going to do it for what we're reading. Up next, how about we talk a little bit of nerd news and more DC Comics news that's probably not as good. It's up next. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Keiko Agena from Fox's Prodigal Son, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Things are definitely a little bit more serious this week. It's time for nerd news, and I want to kind of start off a little bit of a sad story. Of course, this first reported by Variety that there were a bunch of layoffs that happened at DC Comics, HBO, and Warner Brothers across the board, actually. It looks like as many as 800 employees have been laid off either immediately or will be or will have their final days in December with the company. Now, I don't want to go into names or anything like that. There's a lot of reports There's a lot of stuff out there of of certain names. And if anybody hasn't confirmed their name, I'm certainly not going to go ahead and go out and speculate on any of these other stories that let's, let's wait for the confirmation. And part of that too is that, you know, it's easy to look at that statistic, which is a horrible statistic, by the way, you never want to see anybody lose their job. You see that 800 number and that's just unfathomable. But at the same time, it's not just a number. You see a number like that and it's horrible, but these are, in stories like this, it's easy to get caught up in the headline and and forget that we're talking about human beings here. We're talking about people with families and with with livelihoods that have now been shattered because of, you you want to blame it on the pandemic, you want to blame it on other things. That's another thing, you you know, I don't really want to speculate on. You know, these are definitely a hard time, sure, but there's no reason to to go on and speculate. It's not just the pandemic. That's according to some reports. And there's others that that say this is strictly pandemic related. I'm not going to speculate on that. What I am going to do is I want to break this down to its basest human level. Okay. And, And just a reminder that these are people that are now without, not just without their jobs, but you know, most of the time people get into comics and entertainment, quite frankly, not because you know, of of the big pay window that they're looking for, but because they love what they do. It's, it you know, like Jason Howard was talking about earlier, you know, he just loves to draw cool stuff. Well, so do a lot of these people that are involved in this business. You know, the editors that, that are are a part of the comic book industry and the, on down the line, even, you know, the from PR people to to people on the on the front lines of these television shows and things like that. This is what they set out to do. This was their dream. And reaching a level like DC Comics, like HBO, like Warner Brothers, that is a dream level type job right there. Right there. So it's not just they didn't just lose their job. They lost their dream job. And maybe you think that's a first world problem. But at the same time, if you've ever had your dream job or think about that job that you've always aspired to, that you'd love to have, then you get it. And after, whether it's one year or 10 years that you've had that job, you lose it. Imagine what that has to do to you, right? And, you know, we can only hope that none of us are ever in that position ourselves. And, you, I mean, you want to start pointing fingers here, go ahead. You could do that too. But at the end of the day, it doesn't change the fact that 800 people-ish are going to be 
without that dream job. And in a, in a world right now that you know, there's not like there's a whole lot of jobs just available and, and, and ready for everyone right now. So, you know, I, again, my, my heart goes out to anyone that was affected by these layoffs. And this is two less than two weeks before DC's big fandom event. And I'm still excited for fandom, but it's kind of hard to celebrate knowing that this is happening just, you know, days before that massive event. So, I mean, I'm kind of surprised that this news didn't kind of come out to, after fandom, you know, not that it would have been less jarring, but, you know, as far as, again, it's hard to celebrate knowing that that many people have lost their jobs. So hopefully these people not only land on their feet, but end up bigger and better in the positions that they find themselves in next. So just definitely good luck to anyone who was affected by this. You want to blame something on the pandemic? This you can absolutely do because New York Comic Con has announced that, yes, they are going to go all virtual this year, canceling their live convention, which should be absolutely 100% not shocking for anyone. You had to see this one coming, right? But here's the difference. First of all, this is going to take place between October 11th and, excuse me, October 8th and October 11th, according to Reed Pop, who sent out the press release. And much like Comic-Con at home, they're going to partner up with YouTube on their YouTube cha- YouTube channel for this. And they're going to bring stuff. some of the stuff they announced was American Gods from Stars, CBS All Access Star Trek Universe, DreamWorks Animation going to be involved, Hulu FX, and some others. Of course, there's probably going to be some things that are announced between now and then. But it looks like this time around, they are going to have talent Q&As during the panels. And it seems like at least some of these panels, if not all of them, are actually going to be streaming live, which is not something that Comic-Con at home did. It was pre-recorded. So remember when I talked about it, you kind of lost that you know, personal touch of being able to do that Q&A session live and giving that true convention experience. Well, it looks like New York Comic-Con is going to try and do that with their virtual event. Of course, you want to go to NewYorkComicCon.com to get all the information on this and how you can be involved to make sure you're subscribing to their YouTube channel and things like that. So does this solve the problem of the virtual convention? And there's also going to be, you know, virtual, you know, autograph opportunities and, and you know, meetups and stuff like that, that they're still going to involve things like that as well. But does this solve the problem of the, of the virtual convention? I, I think that as far as a virtual convention goes, yeah, it does. But I don't think I mean, you just still cannot replace that in-person event feel you just you just can't no matter how good or or bad a a virtual event is it's never going to be the same as going to one of these conventions in person it just isn't and this isn't read pop in new york comic con's fault this is the you know this is a covid problem that everyone is facing right now so i think the best thing that, that that you can do is you know if you if you love new york comic con normally support this virtual event so it will actually help them out for when the live event will be able to come back around as well. But at least the stuff's free, right? That that's one thing that you got to give you got to give everybody credit for so far. Obviously, you know if you if you want to get an autograph or something, that's usually a, a paid event. I'm they're not the first convention to do that. I none of the details have been released, so I'm not saying that's what they're going to do. But 
you know, certain things just aren't free, and that's and that's fine. And most conventions charge for autographs and things of that that nature. But you know, just I would say just support them at this point. That that's all you can do for these conventions that are just kind of looking for a way to stay afloat and be be ready for 2021. Because I think that we're all going to be ready to get back in con mode coming up next year. Here's something that's coming up this year, though. I mean, Netflix just seems to be putting out just hit after hit and show after show and movie after movie. It's insane. All the stuff that they've already got lined up when there's so many other, you know, forms of entertainment that are, that were shut down because of the pan- pandemic and Netflix is like, nah, we're good. We've got stuff. How about Away, which is an astronaut do- drama that's going to be coming. The series going to premiere on September the 4th, so we don't have too much longer to wait for that one. That one's actually going to star Hillary Swank. So yeah, pretty swanky right off the bat, right? And you think, okay, astronaut drama, haven't we kind of seen this before? Well, this is going to be done by the same people that did Parenthood and that did Friday Night Lights. So if that tells you any, gives you any indication of what you might be in, in for, then then there you go. There, If you see the trailer. This is a little bit different because it seems like to me it really focuses on the family aspect of this Mars mission, which is which is what they're talking about here. And it, and what kind of a toll it takes on the families that are left behind and on the astronauts themselves that are on this mission. And if you watch this trailer, it's absolutely 100% not just Hillary Swank's character and family. You get to see a whole bunch of the crew that are, you see them, you know, messages with their family and things of that nature. And of course, you know, it wouldn't be a space drama without, you know, the journey kind of intensifying as the, as the synopsis says, and, you know, the dynamics on the ship as well and at home as well, again, who they left behind. But it's, I mean, Josh Charles is going to be a part of this cast as well. Another really, really big name, a very talented actor. There's a bunch of talented people are going to be a part of this cast. So this is one that I'm really, really looking forward to because I mean, astronaut stuff is cool anyway, but when you want to take a more personal perspective to it, I think that that's only something that could benefit a story like this and and set it apart from others that have come before it. So I can't wait for this one from Netflix. Here's something that looks super, super creepy. If you've actually read the novel by Donald Ray Pollock called The Devil All the Time, Netflix is doing their adaptation in movie form, which is going to be co-written and by, by Paolo Campos. And Tom Holland is going to be playing the lead role in this one, along with Robert Pattinson. There's a whole bunch of other amazing cast members in this one as well. Sebastian Stan will be in this. And it basically... It, it's it's a town of Knockenstiff, Ohio. And there's a whole bunch of sinister characters there. Robert Pattinson actually plays an unholy preacher. And you've got Tom Holland, who plays Arvin Russell. And he's fighting against, this from the synopsis, fights against evil forces that threaten him and his family. And this actually spans between the time of World War II and the Vietnam War. And you see that Arvin gets given a gift of a pistol that was his father's and his father fought in the war. And it seemed like something happened to his dad during the war. He encountered something. 
And I'm guessing whatever evil forces this that, that there are has to be attached to this pistol somehow or, or something happened. It's, it's kind of hard to get a real handle on it from the trailer. If you've read the book, obviously you already know part of this anyway. I, I haven't, so I'm kind of going, going into this with fresh eyes, kind of spoiler-free sort of thing. Antonio Campo is doing the directing here, and even by the trailer, you can see that this thing is going to be intense, and a lot of the character performances are just really, really jumping out here. I mean, you've got Jason Clark and, and Riley Kigo, Keog, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm butchering your name, Riley. I apologize for that. And Sebastian Stan's going to play a crooked sheriff. It's just something feels very just uneasy about this whole thing and just Robert Pattinson looks like he is going to once again kill it in another role I mean just gives you that you know sleazy preacher vibe it's really really interesting what this thing's what's going to be happening with this thing we'll find out on September the 16th it looks like exactly what that evil is that might be affecting this town and this family it's 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 like horror mystery vibe and i just can't wait to see where this one lands quite frankly speaking of streaming services that are doing quite well how about peacock let's give them a little bit of credit you know it seemed like you know they were gonna, they were launching their free tier it looked like maybe they didn't have enough to compete at the beginning and all of a sudden they're just coming out with announcements of, of original series after original series and you got to give them credit. I mean, they just announced the that the MacGruber movie was coming back, and MacGruber was actually going to be a series now on Peacock that's going to be set, I think it was like 10 years in the future or something like that. And and the MacGruber, the, the whole crew is going to be coming back that was working on it before. Will Forte is going to be back in the title role. He's actually going to be executive producing this as well. And yeah, this is basically MacGruber's been in prison for over a decade, and now he's back, and he's back to take down a mysterious villain. So if you were a MacGruber fan before, you're already looking forward to this one, I'm sure. And you know that and that's not going to come out until 2021. We're going to get AP Bio, though, before that's going to come back on September the 3rd. I know that was a fan-favorite series that everyone wanted to see come back as well. And then you get this latest announcement of an adaptation for One of Us is Lying, which is a book that spent like 133 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. I mean, as far as young adult novels go, as far as any kind of novel goes, that's a long freaking time. So, I mean, that's that's a clear success right there. Of course, for the story from Karen M. McManus, it's it's kind of an interesting concept. It's, it's basically what happens when five high schoolers walk into detention and only four make it out alive. Obviously, everyone's a suspect, and everyone has something to hide. It's almost like you've got the Breakfast Club meets Clue, or something like that. Or maybe I'm sure there's another better better example than that. But it just seems like like that's an interesting concept, right? And and you see the the poster that they put out, which is very close to the cover of the book, which I thought was really really cool. As well, so you got to give the Peacock streaming service credit. Yes, they have their their catalog stuff that's on there, and it, that's a pretty good list. But as far as original programming goes, I think they're surprising a lot of people with what they're coming out of the gate with. And this is just the beginning. I'm very interested to see what the folks at Peacock have in store for the future. 
That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Once again, I want to thank Jason Howard for joining me this week to talk about big girls and, of course, Super Dinosaur. It's going to be coming to Amazon Prime Video as well. Can't wait for that animated series. I know my son is going to be all over that one. If you want to follow more about what we've got going on, always go to downandnerdypodcast.com. Also follow along on social media at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram and at downandnerdy on Facebook. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.